listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. All right, if you have a Bible, let's go to Mark chapter 2 this morning, if you will. Mark chapter 2, as we continue in our series, The Emotionally Healthy Church. If you are here and this is your first time with us, welcome. It's an exciting day for me. I've got a couple of friends, one that I went to seminary with here, another one I worked with at the Buckle back in the day. And so it's, a, it's kind of just great. It's like a reunion. And so uh, um, anyways, even if I don't know you, welcome. Glad you are here. We want you to go from feeling like guests to feeling like family as soon as uh, possible. And so there's a couple ways you can learn about our church, get connected if you want to do so. You can go to our website, fellowshipparagold.com. And you can just uh, learn some more information about us there. You can also pick up a connect card on this table over here. Fill out some information about yourself. I promise we will only connect with you on your terms. So if you'd rather me text you, call you, visit, whatever, I'll do what, whatever works best for you to get you the information you needed. And then also at the end of the service, we'll have Rusty, one of our pastors, stand out here with a sheet that can show you uh, how you can get connected, how you can get involved, how you can learn more about our church as you grow on God's timing and, and not our timing. And so again, welcome. Glad you can uh, uh, be here. If you are imperfect, you belong here because we're all just a bunch of imperfect people standing in need of one perfect Savior together. And so uh, you can relax. All we ask is that you expect to hear from God this morning, okay? So Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to pick up in verse 23. We'll read down through verse 28. One Sabbath, he, speaking of Jesus, was going through the grain fields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did whenever he was in need and was hungry, and he and those who were with him, and how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? And also he gave to those who were with him. And then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's pray together one more time. I ask that you pray for me as I pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have in this short time to just slow down and to focus on your word, which is life-transforming. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to proclaim your word. I pray that this is a morning where we are transformed from the inside out for our good and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to see a show of hands. Anybody in here been in an airport recently? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, I, I know hate is a strong word, but I hate the airport. I really do. In fact, I've got to fly out to Denver tomorrow, and I'm already dreading the whole experience. Because here's a reality about airports. No matter how soon you arrive, when you get there, you're going to feel like you're in a hurry, and you are racing against time. All right? The bigger the airport gets, the worse it is. Like, when I get to an airport, I am always trying desperately to find my terminal, right, to get to where I need to go as quickly as possible, but I am fighting against these airport golf carts, which I've always wondered, how do you even get on those things? You ever been in an airport, like, some people are, are getting rides? I'm like, 
how do you do that? I don't know if you fake an injury or what, but I want one. And so like you're trying not to get hit by these golf carts. Uh, you're also racing against all these other people who are trying not to be late. And then if you've ever been in an airport, you know like you have to constantly be checking information because flights are always changing and you are praying to God. If you're not a praying person, when you get in an airport, you become a praying person because you are praying that your flight will not be late. Because if your flight is late, which they often are, guess what that makes you? Late, which means you have to work harder to get to where you need to be going on time. Right? I mean, airports are crazy. And I think that's why like, even the people who work in the airports are, are sometimes some of the most rudest people on the planet. Right? You're shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. When I was in uh, Minneapolis earlier this year in an airport, I went up to a cash um, uh, to like this little desk, and the guy that was working the little cash register, I was buying some gum from him. And true story, it's a big dude with dreadlocks, and I'm just trying to get my gum. And he looks at me, and he says... Uh, Hey, man, you got frosting in your hair? I was like, I got what? And he goes, you got frosting in your hair. And I'm like, no, man, this is great. I promise. Look right at me. He goes, sheesh, just like that. And he goes, man, you're kind of young for gray. What's up? And I was like, I don't know. Just please give me my overpriced gum and let me get out of here. It's like, yeah, gray hair. What, are you, what is your job, man? And, um, and so if people are just in a bad mood, you know, and I get it. I mean, Airports are just chaotic, man. I hate airports. Um, I, I mean, when I think about them, even like right now, I know my blood pressure is rising, even thinking about my experience tomorrow, because when I think about an airport, I think of this chaotic place where we're just trying to get from point A to point B as soon as possible without killing each other. Right? And here's why I share that, because I, when I think of an airport and the experience I have there, and I think about some of our lives, I think that the reality is some of our lives resemble living in an airport. I mean, we are constantly on the move, constantly checking for updates, always trying not to be late wherever we go. And even in times like this, where we look pretty relaxed, there's a storm going on inside. Our minds are constantly running. Physically, we're just able to go, but mentally and emotionally, not even close, right? I mean, even right now, some of you are thinking, okay, how long is this preacher going to go? What time is it? Around what time do I think he's going to be done? Where are we going next? How long is it going to take us to get there? I mean, has everything else been done? How much time do I have, right? I mean, these are the things. What have I still got to knock out today before I go to work tomorrow? I mean, this is the way our mind works. We are an incredibly busy people, amen? In fact, if you go up to someone this week, just, just pay attention to how many times when you ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? Pay attention to how many times they say, good, just busy. They'll say it's like 90% of the time, right? Because uh, besides working an eight-to-five job, we have emails, Facebook messages, and text messages to respond to. We have kids to get to activities. We have homework to do, television shows to catch, yards to maintain, errands to run, doctors to visit, uh, gyms to frequent, missional communities, fight clubs, and ah, right? Like it's just so much stuff. And though it's all good, the problem is if we are not careful, we get caught up in this hectic cycle called life where we have these full schedules but empty souls. And in the process of scheduling that next event or making that next dollar or, or knocking out that next task, our emotional health, the emotional tank begins to run on E, doesn't it? And we begin to go through this life exhausted, sick, frustrated, and frazzled. Am I speaking to anybody this morning besides myself? The good news is it doesn't have to be that way. And so here's what I want to do this morning, if it's okay. I want to start a rebellion. Anybody with me? I want to start a rebellion against the tidal wave of busyness in our culture. 
I want us to draw a line in the sand this morning and say enough is enough. Enough is enough. And as a result, I want us to recover our emotional health and the life that God intends for us to experience. Does that sound good? And so what we're going to do is we're going to go to Mark chapter 2. Again, we're going to look in verse 23 and following, and we'll hopefully recover this idea of rest. One Sabbath, he, again, speaking of Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, just to give you a little background, the Sabbath was created by God hundreds of years before this. It was a great day. It was a day where God said, Look, you don't need to always work. You need to chill out. You need to relax. Just enjoy the day. Enjoy me. Enjoy creation, and it's going to refresh you. It's going to energize you. But thanks to the religious leaders of the day, of this day, right, what started as a refreshing day, a day all about rest, became a day all about rules. And they added rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. And they began to say, you can't do this and you can't do that. And the Sabbath just became a day, to be honest, that beat you down. And so here we find these disciples with Jesus walking through a field and they pluck some grain to eat. They're hungry. They want nourishment. They want a snack. And these Pharisees get upset about it. Not because they're against snacking, but because they feel like if you're grabbing grain and you're picking it, that's work. Therefore, you're breaking the law. So they come up to Jesus and his disciples and they say, Hey, look, um, Jesus, why are your disciples, your little followers, why are they not doing what is lawful on the Sabbath? Which if I'm Jesus, I'm like, I got another question. I got a better question for you. What are you doing in a field? Like, these are Pharisees, not farmers. Right? Like, like, they don't hang out in the fields, right? I mean, these guys, I, I mean, the text doesn't say this, but I really believe the only reason they are there is because they're looking for people to bust out. They're looking for people to condemn. And that's what religious leaders always do in religious people. We're just, we're just carrying stones in our pockets. We're just waiting for somebody, man, to bust out. Somebody that's, that's sinning differently than us. Somebody that don't get it like we get it, right? That's what these religious guys are doing. They have no life whatsoever. And so they're walking in this field and they say, Jesus, why are your disciples breaking the law, right? Why are they not Sabbathing? Why are they not resting? And here's what Jesus says, verse 25. He said to them, have you never read what David did? Which I think is hilarious, by the way. Jesus has a humor. And I think this is kind of a dig at the Pharisees. Because of course these guys have read what David has done. All these guys do for a living is read and study the Old Testament. They're very familiar with David. Jesus says, hey, have you never uh, read about David? Right? And then he goes on and he says, you ever read about David whenever he was in need and was hungry and how he and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, which I'm not even sure that's how you say his name. I've just heard you say it with confidence and people will never know if you mispronounce it or not. So uh, Abiathar the high priest and, and um, yeah, he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with them. Right? What, what Jesus is doing here is he's referencing David because David is these guys' biggest hero. Right? He's a hero of the Old Testament. He says, do you remember back, I think it's Samuel 21, do you remember whenever David was running for his life, he was scared for his life, he was starving, and because he was hungry and because he was weak, he went into the temple and he ate some bread that actually the law said he could not eat because it was just reserved for the priests? Do, do you remember this moment? And of course the Pharisees would remember. And he says, do you remember how whenever that happened, though it was against the law that God had created, God did not punish him for doing it? Do you remember how God didn't kill him for this? Uh, do you remember that? And of course they would have remembered it. And, and here's what Jesus is about to be pointing us to. And listen, we all have to get it today. Right? Zone back in if you're like history. Ugh, right? Like, come back with me. What Jesus is going to be pointing us to right here is a profound, 
a profound reality that we all have to get, and I think all of us have confused, but hopefully I can clarify it for you today. Listen to this. What Jesus is wanting to point us to is the reality that God, listen carefully, God did not create people for the law. He created the law for people. Okay, now you're like, well, what in the world does that mean? It's kind of ambiguous. Let me try to explain it this way. When, uh, six years ago, when I was living in Louisville, uh, shout out, brother. And so, this guy lived in Louisville with me. And so, lived in Louisville, and uh, I was going through a school zone. Apparently, when school was letting out, wasn't paying attention, and was going uh, like 10 over the speed limit, because, you know, the speed limit drops. And in Louisville, whenever you get a speeding ticket in a school zone, you have to appear before a judge in court. Okay, so here I am, 26 years old, seminary student, right, getting my master's in the Bible, and I go into a courtroom, and I'm with all these other, you know, criminals, and I'm like, man, I don't belong here, what's going on, you know, and so, like, I walk in to the court, and if you've ever been in front of a judge, you know, like, they just, they just don't play around, right, and so a judge walks in, and he sits down, and he says, all right, everybody, listen up, I'm the judge, and here's my name, and I want you to listen real carefully to my rules. If you talk while I'm talking, I will throw you in jail. If you get out your phone, I will throw you in jail. If I call your name and you are not up here as soon as I call your name, I'll throw you in jail. He throws all these rules up there. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to jail. Like, like there is no way I'm getting out of here without breaking some rule and this guy punishing me for it. And listen, that's the way some of you view God this morning. Some of you really think that God is this angry judge who has all of these random rules that he just made up just to say, I'm the boss and you're not. And right, you think that God is this God who says, I've created all these random laws and these random rules for you to obey, and if you screw them up, I will throw you in hell, give you cancer, or jack up your life in some way, shape, or form. Right? Even this past week in, in the evangelism class that I've been going through with uh, some other folks in our church, Kyle Ritchie came in and said he saw a church sign that said, don't make me come down there. Signed, God. Right? It's this idea, again, that God is this grumpy old judge who just wants to throw down a bunch of rules, and if you break it, he's going to throw down with you. But that's the way we view God. And I just want you to know, like, good news this morning, that's a skewed view of God. That's an incorrect view of God and his law. David, in the Old Testament, said that the law of God is like honey on his lips. He said over and over in the Psalms, I delight in the law of God. How can you delight in the law of God? Because David understands, though the law cannot save us, it is still given to us for our good. The law was never meant to crush us, but the law is given so that when we learn to walk in it, when we learn to walk in the way God says life works best, we experience more depth, more beauty, more meaning, more significance, and more purpose. You have to get this today. God, listen, he did not create rules first and then create you, throw you in a maze, and then just say, see if you can figure it out. It's not what he did. It's not like he's sitting in heaven right now. You've got, you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and they're just like waiting to see if you mess up. And the Holy Spirit's like, oh, look over here, look, I got one, I got one. This guy, he's watching a rated R movie, and it's not the Passion of Christ, right? Like, what are we going to do? You know, and Jesus is like, um, I don't know, let's make him lose his job. And the Father's like, no, we did that last time. Let's just, let's, let's mess up his gallbladder. How about that, you know? It seems so stupid, and yet it really is the way some of us view God. 
We view him as this tyrant who's just waiting for us to mess up so he can go, ha! Is it not? And just to be clear, like, I'm not saying God doesn't discipline those he loves. I'm not saying there isn't consequences to our sin. But what I am saying is this. God is not some celestial killjoy who gave us the law to rob you of life. That's not what his motive was. But rather, he gives it to us to help us know how life works best, to lead us into a greater joy. God does not give us rules and create boundaries to restrict us. He gives it to us to help us experience more freedom that we can only find in him. And that's why Jesus brings up David and the story that we just looked at. Because what, what Jesus wants us to see is, look, was there a law against not eating bread in the temple? Yes. But did David do it and not suffer consequences? Like, no, no, he ate and he didn't have consequences. Why? Because God knew that David needed nourishment. God knew where David's heart was. And because the laws were not just created for the sake of laws, but for our benefit, to protect us, to give us greater life, God did not punish David. And listen, this is where he comes to the Sabbath and this idea of rest. He's saying the same is true for Sabbath rest. The same is true for this day where we just say, enough is enough, I'm going to relax and trust that God is God and I am not. He's saying it's not here just for you to obey it. If you don't obey it, God's like, I'm going to jack up your world. But he's saying, if you don't do it, you're going to jack up your own world. Because this is here for your good. That's why he goes on to say in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. In other words, when God created this idea of Sabbath, and he commanded us to take it, he commanded us to observe it, it was not simply because he was trying to get us to obey more rules, but the Sabbath rest... A day of relaxation is given to us from God and it is for our good to help us experience emotional health and the life that every single one of us in here are longing for. But you see, the problem is many of us are not taking this seriously. Even right now, some of you are probably just sitting here thinking, eh, Sabbath rest, like this isn't really that relevant to me. Like we look at the Ten Commandments and don't we look at most of them and we say, thou shalt not murder Makes sense. Better not do it. I can see where it's going to get me in trouble. Don't cheat on my wife. Okay, I I get that. That's really not fair to her, and that's bad. I I, I get all that. Things are going to fall apart if that happens. But when we come to this idea of the commandment of Sabbath, where God says, I command you, like remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, don't some of us look at it as optional at best? Like, hmm. I mean, we look at it, and we think about this idea of rest, and we think like, is that even American? Rest? Like, I've got ambition. I, I've got places to go, people to see. I've got things to do. And, and I get it, man. You guys are important people. Some of you are a big deal. I get it. But you are not as big of a deal as God. And even God says, we need to rest. In fact, even God rested. If you look in Genesis, or I'll throw it on the screen for you, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, you might remember this. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. So God just spent six days creating everything. It's a pretty busy week. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Oh, it's okay. It's kind of a weird, awkward pause. I get it. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them... And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, let this sink in, God 
rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Think about that. God rested. After six days of universe making, God himself said, enough is enough. Enough is enough. It's time to rest. And this is not, you've got to get this, this is not because God was physically tired. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't run out of energy. But the reason God rested is because he knew everything that needed to be done is done. And it is good. And so on the seventh day, he said, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy this creation. I'm going to celebrate it. And then he says, I'm going to weave this into the fabric of creation so that this becomes a part of your every week practice. And I know for some of you, like, you hear that and you say, Jerry, that's great. But of course God could rest. His work was done. My work is never done. Of course God could rest. He looked at his work and said, yeah, that's good. That's as good as it can get. My work is never as good as it can get. So how, Jared, do you expect me to just flip a switch where I can physically, mentally, and emotionally sit back, relax, and just say, okay, I'm going to enjoy God and his creation today. How do you expect me to just do this when I'm being pulled in a thousand different directions by kids and grandkids and, and, and jobs and all of these things? And I would just say this, before I answer that question, I am not an expert here. If I can just be honest with you, this is an area of great struggle for me. And so I'm not sharing from someone who's arrived, but someone who's trying to grow in this area. Even last week, I was in Florida on vacation, and there was a point where I was in the ocean, right, with my son, playing with him and my daughter. And my wife looks at me, and she says, you having a good time? Yeah, having a good time. Of course, I'm on the beach. This is a great time. You know, and she's like, where are you up here? I'm like, I'm here, I'm here. She's like, no, you're not here. And later I had to confess to her, like, yeah, like, though I'm here, I'm, I'm not here. Like, I'm back at the church. I'm back thinking about what all has to be done. I'm back thinking about some counseling sessions. I'm back thinking about other things that I need to work through and what's coming in this next season and about this building and all this kind of stuff. And listen, the reason my mind couldn't shut off is not because I'm super important. It's not because you guys all need me or your lives are going to fall apart. The reason I have a hard time resting and the reason you have a hard time resting is because we still don't really believe the gospel to our core like we should. That's why. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, do we have this on, we put this on the screen? Yeah. We begin to be keyed on on the importance of believing the gospel, of believing Jesus is who he says he is and has done everything he says he's done. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 9. He says, there remains... A Sabbath rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Here's what the writer, you've got to get this. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, for those who believe the gospel, for those who believe Jesus is who he says he is and has accomplished everything that he says he's accomplished, these are the people who are able to rest the same way that God himself rests. Isn't that crazy? For those who believe the gospel, we were able to rest the way God rested. Now, how is that possible? How is that possible? We all need to know this, right? Because we're living frantic, frazzled lives. How do we rest the way God rests? Because when we believe the gospel, here's what we are embracing. We are embracing the reality that there is nothing else that needs to be added to my week or my life in order to help me gain value. When we are believing the gospel... We are believing the truth that who I am is not shaped by what I do, but it's shaped by who God is and what he's already done for me in Christ. 
Through his perfect life that I could never live. Through his death that he died, I deserve to die. Through his resurrection where he conquered sin, death, and hell. So now, no matter what we have done or haven't done, we can stand before God holy, blameless, and completely accepted. When we believe that, we find rest. To rest like God, to be able to say enough is enough. I'm going to spend the day enjoying God and His creation even though my work is not finished. Those who do that believe that on the cross Jesus really did declare it is finished. The work, the greatest work that needs to be done for your life to gain value and significance and worth, that work has already been done in Christ. There's nothing you have to add to it. And when you trust in his perfect work, when you trust in his life, his death and resurrection, you can trust, the Bible says, get this, that when God looks at you, he declares about you what he declared about his creation in Genesis 2 because he looks at you and says, you are good. I am satisfied with you. There is nothing you have to do to add to this work. There is nothing left to prove because the God who matters... The one who matters more than anyone and is in control of this universe already approves of you. And when you believe that, you can rest. I mean, just imagine if you believe that this is true, how your life would be different. Just dream for a second. I believe that, that if we bought in this, we would not have to work so incredibly hard, too hard, to get that bigger house or that nicer car so that we can just feel accomplished in the eyes of the world. So that we can feel successful. I, I think if we really believe this, we would not have to build our entire life around our kids' schedule and go in debt in the process so that we can find our identity and what our kids think about us. So that we can compete with our kids, friends, parents. I think if we believe the gospel to be true, we would not have to say yes to every little thing that people asked us because we are so scared of disappointing others. Because, my God, if I disappoint others, I just don't know what I'll do. If we could learn to believe this gospel, you know what? You could learn to breathe. You could create space. And you could live out of fullness rather than emptiness. This is what Jesus is getting at in this passage. And this is why he goes on to say in our last verse today, in verse 28, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, is the Lord even of the Sabbath. What does Jesus mean by that? What he's saying is, I'm God. I created the Sabbath. And no matter who you are or where you come from, listen to me. You will always be restless if you cannot find rest in me. That's what he's saying. And this is why the Pharisees hated Jesus. And this is why they would go on to crucify Jesus, which ironically enough made him even more the Lord of the Sabbath. You say, what in the world do you mean by that? When well, Isaiah 57, 20, the prophet Isaiah says this, the wicked, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. When you live in sin, when you say, mm, God, I think I know better than you, I'm going to do things my way, you know what happens? You have this internal storm inside of you, this restlessness. That's what sin does. The good news is, though, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. What that means is when Jesus went to the cross, he became your sin, which means Jesus on the cross became infinite restlessness. 
so that now when you trust in him, you can receive a rest, a perfect rest, an internal rest that you can find nowhere else. This is great news this morning. Because isn't this what we all want? Isn't this what we're working for, right? Everybody's working for the weekend. Isn't this why we go and spend money we don't have on stuff we don't need? We just want rest. I think Rocky Balboa, the great theologian, can help us out here. Some of you may remember in Rocky chapter 1, I mean, first, first movie. Uh, you may remember he's training for his fight against um, Apollo Creed. He's like chasing chickens. And he's punching me, bah, bah, right, in the, in the factory. And he's running through the street and up, the, up these steps. And his wife, one day, comes to him and she says, Rocky, why are you working so hard? And what does he say? Because if I can go the distance with the champ, then I'll know I'm not a bum. Then I can relax. Then I can feel like, I did something. Now I can chill. But the problem is, if you keep watching Rocky, he beats the champ and does he rest? No, the bar just climbs and he continues to want to go more and more and he works harder and harder and harder. And the reason I think Rocky 5 and 6 are awful is because Rocky couldn't figure it out. If he could have figured it out, those would have been good movies. But they were terrible movies. And I think because Rocky was trying to, was trying to find rest in his own work. And the reality is, listen, it doesn't matter how hard you work. I promise you guys, your work's never going to be enough. But the good news is, Jesus' work is enough. And when you begin to believe that, some of you still don't believe it. You're here this morning, you sing songs, you raise your hands, but you don't believe this, I understand. But when you start to believe it, you can experience more than a physical rest. You can experience a spiritual, a mental, and an emotional rest. And then, then you can learn to Sabbath well. Now, let's get practical. Let's bring the cookies on the bottom shelf what does it look like to sabbath well because we've heard all sorts of stuff if you've grown up in church i know i did my parents had their definition of sabbath which was like you don't go eat out and you don't go shop and you don't mow the yard and you just sleep and i was like that sounds awful and so quite frankly but whatever and so um what does it mean to sabbath well and again i'm not great at this and you guys please pray for me i've been very open about this i still find my identity in accomplishments i still find my identity in a church that grows i still find my identity in you needing me because it makes me feel more special and so please pray for me that god will grant me repentance in this and that i'll be able to walk in faith and trust that he's enough but here's what it looks like for me or at least what i am attempting in my sabbath okay for me sunday is not a sabbath it's a work day. Okay? I get up at 6.30 a.m. and my work begins on Sunday. Um, and even whenever I leave here, I'll eat and, and I'll write Monday's musing and I'll do more work for the church all the way up until 5 o'clock. Then I'll start doing that work and I'll get my wife and kids and we'll go to Labor Park with our missional community and serve out there. Okay? So, so Sunday's not a relaxing day for me. Okay? It's, 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 it's church work from basically 6.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Okay? And so for me, Saturday is my Sabbath, which means Saturday is the one day that I'm going to try to avoid anything work-related. And what is my work? Being a pastor. Okay? That's my vocation. It's what God calls me to do. It's not who I am, but it's what I'm called to do. And so on Saturday, I try to avoid anything that is pastoral ministry-related. 
And just to be clear, my wife told me I should clarify this last night. I was talking to her about it. That does not mean that I don't hang out with my missional community on Saturdays. For those of you that have no idea what missional communities are, just bear with me for like 30 seconds. I don't lead a missional community because I'm a pastor. I lead a missional community because I'm a Christian. I just love people. I want to make disciples because Jesus called me to do it. If I was not a pastor, I would lead a missional community anyway. Okay? So I'm not, I don't lead an MC with my pastor hat on. That's just because I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and I want to do that. Okay? So I don't like neglect my MC on Saturday or like not take their phone calls. In fact, I was in the ER yesterday with somebody in our, in our missional community and, and, and doing some other stuff with people in our missional community. And so um, I just, my wife said I should clarify that. So there, I clarified that. Okay? But on Saturday, I am not, I'm going to try to avoid doing anything that is just pastoral ministry related while also plugging things into my life that refreshes me and stirs my heart towards God. Okay, so here's what this means for me. From Friday night to Saturday night, I try, don't always do a great job of it, I try not to take any phone calls, answer any text messages or emails that are church-related. Okay? Now, some of you don't like that, possibly. And I just want you to know, like, that is not because I don't love you, it's just because I love God and I love my wife and kids more than I love you. And God has told me to Sabbath. He has told me he does not need me 24-7 or the church is going to fall apart. And whenever I don't answer phone calls or emails or respond to text messages, it's not because I'm trying to be a jerk. I'm just trying to trust God more. I need this and you need a pastor that does this. Some of you come from churches. My dad was one of them. My dad's had many, my dad had many conversations on the Sabbath where the pastor's on call 24-7. I don't know where that idea came from. Not from the Bible. I promise you. And if you're not okay with that, like there's a lot of churches in this area that they'll give you that. This just isn't going to be one of those places. And the pastors are going to hold each other accountable to that. Okay? Good news is, in all the times that I've not answered those texts or those phone calls, the world's never fallen apart. Right? And nobody's ever gone to hell or died. Okay? And so we can relax knowing Jesus is still on his throne even whenever... I'm not, whatever, answering everything that comes through, okay? So I'm not answering those things. I don't read leadership books or anything that's pastoral ministry related. I don't work on my sermon for that, uh, that Friday night or during the Saturday. I don't schedule meetings with MC leaders or anybody else in the church. Sometimes people will say, hey, I can't meet throughout the week, but I can meet on Saturdays. And I just say, I'm sorry, I can't. I, I just can't. We'll have to find another time to try to meet, whether it's Sunday or, or, other, or night, but I can't do it on Saturday. But I'm not just trying to avoid things. I'm also trying to fill my schedule with things as well that help me in not just rest, but enjoy God. And we have to get that, right? The Bible says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So it's not just, Sabbath day is not just about vegging out in front of a Netflix like series. It's about doing things that help us enjoy God. That remember he is who he is, right? And has done everything that needs to be done. And so for me, here's just some things this means. And again, this is different for everybody. But I'm just trying to let you into my life because if you're a practical thinker, hopefully this will help. From Friday night to Saturday night, my 24 hours is typically going to be filled with things like uh, date nights with my wife, uh, playing with my kids outside and with our neighbors. Um, this is creepy to some of you, but walking through a cemetery. Uh, I know that's weird, but for me and, and my wife, like, well, there's a lot of pretty cemeteries in this area, and it gives us a great perspective on life. I know nobody else probably would want to do that, but I'm just telling you like, it's something that refreshes, refreshes us. Um, we have folks over from our MC occasionally. We'll just try to eat good food together. Uh, my wife and I will wake up Saturday morning and cook breakfast and pancakes and, and eggs and bacon and all that, and we'll just enjoy it as a family around the table. Um, I will work in the yard on Saturday. Somebody told me um, that whenever you, 
If you work with your mind throughout the week, you should Sabbath with your hands. Or if you work with your hands throughout the week, you should Sabbath with your mind. I work with my mind throughout the week, and so it actually refreshes me to do physical labor on a Saturday. And so I get in my yard, I landscape, I mow, I spray, any of that kind of stuff. Depending on what season it is, I'll catch a football game or a baseball game, possibly. Um, I'll read a good book that, again, is not, not pastoral-related. Right now I'm reading one on Theodore Roosevelt. And so it's just a, a book that I enjoy. It's a good biography. I'll try to find new music. I love music. I play guitar, all that. So those are things that I try to engage in. Uh, we'll take our kids to the nature center, go rent a movie, go up to Crowley's Ridge. Uh, my wife and I will enjoy married couple stuff. And, uh, and, and, and just, you know, nothing. We'll just enjoy each other's company, right? Like what I hope that you see, it's biblical, right? Um, it's nothing crazy, right? This is just a 24-hour period where I'm learning to say enough is enough. Enough is enough. I've worked as hard as I can this week, which, by the way, work is good. Amen. Some of you need to hear that because you're hearing this rest and you're like, yes, like I can tell my wife to leave me alone. Like I can now do nothing because it's Sabbath, you know? And so um, work is good, right? God created work before the fall. Some of you are like, yeah, we have work because there's sin. No, there was work before there was sin. And there's going to be work in heaven. I hate to tell you that, but I really believe it. We're just not going to hate it because sin's not going to be there. So I work as hard as I can throughout the weekend. You should do that. I do the best that I possibly can, but then I push pause on work because I say God doesn't need me. He doesn't need me right now. The world will continue to go without me. And so because of this, I'm going to enjoy some good food, good family, friendship, and fun that reminds me of the goodness of God in my life. And some of you, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, yeah, it's easy for you to do, Pastor. You don't live in the real world. You know, pastors. And, and I had actually a whole list of things I was going to talk about that I did this week, and the, the Spirit was like, you don't need to do that. So what I would just encourage you, if you're really thinking that, like pastors have it so easy, then uh, you can get with me or Luke or Rusty or Kara, and you can look at my schedule, and we'll compare schedules, we'll compare calendars and responsibilities, and I promise you, you're not going to leave walking away saying, your life's so easy, and it's like, of course you can rest, Right? I promise you my work is never done. There's always a need. There's always somebody hurting. There's always something that needs to be tackled or needs to be addressed, right? And I'm not saying that to make you pity me. I'm just saying Sabbath is not an, uh, an issue of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. Sabbath is just an issue of making it a priority. And what you need to realize is there is nobody around you right now that's going to give you a Sabbath. They're not. But God has already given you one. And it's just our job now to say we are going to take this for my good, for the good of my family, for the good of this church, and the mission that God has called me to. Okay? Now, for some of you, what this means is, one, you're going to have to learn to say no. Sometimes, as Rusty said last week, the most spiritual thing you can do is say no. I'm looking around, and there are some of you here today, you are a slave. You're a slave to your kids or your grandkids. You're a slave to the opinions of others. You're a slave to cultural expectations. God has given you the Sabbath to help you break the bondage of slavery in your life. He has given you the Sabbath to help you experience freedom. To say, I'm no longer going to be defined by success or what others think of me. Some of you, if you're going to ex experience Sabbath rest, if you're going to get emotionally healthy, you're going to have to learn to say no to others who really do expect more from you than God himself expects from you. Second thing is this. Maybe for some of you, if you're going to learn to Sabbath, you need to make a list of things that stirs your heart towards God. 
If I asked you right now, like, hey, what energizes you and stirs your heart towards God? Would you have any idea? Most people don't. Most of us are just shooting from the hip, just reacting to life. So you need to figure out what is it that stirs your heart towards God? Maybe it is spending time in the Word or a lot of time in prayer or, or uh, hiking or napping or I, I don't know what it may be, riding a horse. I don't know. But whatever it is, you need to do it. You need to do it. You need to find it and you need to proactively add that to your life. The third thing I would say is some of you need to get involved in community. Some of you are trying so hard, and I don't know why. I guess it's just an American influence. You're trying so hard to be a Lone Ranger Christian. You're trying so hard to live in isolation and make this thing work. And I'm telling you, like, what you need is community. You need people around you to hold you accountable to say, you're too busy. I know that's good, and that's good, and that's good, and that's good, but you're saying yes to all these good things, and you're missing the ultimate thing in the process. You're missing the better thing. So slow down. Stop doing it. Stop taking this on. Some of you need that accountability. Some of you just need brothers and sisters in your life that whenever you're busy, you can say, can you help me, please? I've been talking to Stephen and Emily Smith about this this past week. They're in our missional community, and they've been remodeling their, li- uh, their, their house. And I said to them, like, man, you need to involve our missional community. Like, you need to let us know whenever you're doing stuff. And so they, they reached out this week, and they said, can I get help laying floor? And so people went over there and helped move furniture. Thank God John was over there because I knew nothing that I was doing. And John actually was, like, able to help while I was eating pizza and brownies. And so, like, it was... <laughs> It was a great time. And so I personally was very rested. And so, um, and so, you know, we go over there and we just try to carry the load for one another, man. That's what family does, right? So that, that Stephen and Emily can, can just relax this week and not carry so much. Some of you, again, you're consumed by work. You're consumed by accomplishments. You always find yourself trying to be better, trying to go further, trying to reach a place where you can finally feel like you're not a bum. And listen, as we come to a close this morning, what you need more than anything, I'm telling you, is not to knock out anything else. What you need is to learn the Sabbath. You need to stop looking at this as an option, guys. You need to realize God's put it here for your good. You need to start resting. You need to find your value and your worth, not in your accomplishments, but in what Jesus has accomplished for you. And that is the good news of the gospel. If you place your faith in Christ, if you have not done that, I hope that you do that this morning, that you place your complete trust and your faith in his life, death, and resurrection. And when you do that, listen, you will realize there's nothing left to prove. You have nothing left to prove. The one who matters the most and is in control of the universe approves of you, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And this has nothing to do with your work, but everything to do with Jesus' perfect and finished work on your behalf. I'm going to ask that you stand with me as our band comes forward and those who are going to be preparing communion. We'll pray together and then we'll respond and worship. Father, I do thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to hear from your word. I thank you, God, that you give us, you give us instruction. You don't just set us here on this earth and make us try to figure out how things work best. Thank you for clearly telling us the way things work best. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. There are so many of us, myself included, God, why do I care so much about what I do? Help me personally to believe your gospel more. Help me to stop taking rejection and stop taking failure so hard. Help me to trust that, Jesus, you were perfect on my behalf and that my identity is not tied to success. 
It's not tied to accomplishments, but it's not tied to my performance, but to your performance on my behalf. And I pray that for my brothers and sisters that are here. I pray for the one who is restless right now, who is in sin, who is trusting they know better than you, who is the author of life. Will you right now, Holy Spirit, grab a hold of them, show them that they will be restless until they rest in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.